The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening again, everyone. Now I can tell the speakers are on. Is it too loud or too soft for anyone? A little too loud for me, too. Okay. How is that? Softer? I will get softer as I talk, too, but... um, Is this about right, everybody? If anyone is having difficulty hearing, please um, go back to the... Just outside this door, we have hearing-assisted devices available. So you're welcome to use those. Those are piped directly into the sound system. So meanwhile, welcome to Class 2 of the Introduction to Loving-Kindness series. As I mentioned before, I'm Dawn, and I'm going to be teaching for the next three Wednesdays, this Wednesday and two more. So rather than um, talking too much to newcomers about what this practice is, I'm going to lead us on a guided meditation for a few minutes just to settle us into the room, and then we can do a recap with the whole class of what we covered last time. So just let yourself get into a comfortable posture. One that balances relaxation and alertness with a little bit more of an emphasis on the relaxation and the comfort. It's helpful in this practice to close your eyes and tune more into your internal landscape. your internal posture. Just maybe take a few minutes to let yourself arrive in this room, letting go of whatever it was it took to get here on a weeknight. Noticing the energy in your body the sounds in the room. Maybe the sounds in your mind. Just see if you can let it go and allow yourself to settle into this moment, into now. And scan through the body and see if there's any parts of you that can soften, relax. The crown of the head, the neck, shoulders and upper back. See if you can soften your rib cage. Soften the center of your chest, your heart center. And while you're in the vicinity of your chest and moving down towards your belly, allow your attention to settle on the breath. 
breathing in appreciation for your life's breath. Breathing out as an offering to the world. The carbon dioxide we exhale is nourishment for trees and grasses and flowers. Each outbreath is a gift to something. Sense into the surface of the body. Maybe you can notice a subtle movement of breathing even on the surface of the skin. Maybe the air around the body too. Allowing the energy of your life's breath to enfold you like a sheet that encloses your person. Respecting the integrity of your skin, of your body. each in-breath, drawing in nourishment from all around you. Each out-breath, offering. Now call to the mind a person or a being who has benefited you in some way even if just for a moment or two or perhaps in a significant way but someone for whom a natural sense of gratitude comes up. can be human, animal, can be a figure like the Dalai Lama, someone you might not know personally. Remembering a moment that you have felt appreciation or gratitude for this being.
And gently collect your attention around the center of your chest, the heart center. And first just notice and acknowledge whatever sensations or feelings are already there. Respect the integrity of your experience. And see if you can feel your breath and your heart together as if you could breathe into the heart and out again, directly towards this person or being. With each inhale, noticing what is present. With each exhale, extending wishes of kindness, love, gratitude, appreciation towards this person or being. Then staying in the rhythm of the breathing as best you can. See if you can clarify these wishes for this other's well-being with some simple phrases, one at a time. You can use the ones that I say or you can invent your own. It's whatever works for you. May you be happy. May you be healthy as much as possible. May you be safe from inner and outer harm. May you know ease and joy. With each out-breath offering a phrase or just a word, each in-breath acknowledging and appreciating what is happening in the body and in the heart center. Savor it if it's good. Let it grow. Be gentle with it otherwise. 
you can shorten your phrases too. Be happy. Be healthy. Be safe. Be at ease. Find yourself distracted. There's no need to judge. Notice the tone in the mind and see how kindly and gently you can bring yourself back to these simple breath and well wishes. for the last moment or two of this meditation. Let go of this being and see if you can turn these wishes back towards the being in your seat, this heart, this body. Is it possible to hold the self, yourself, your experience with the same care?
Hi, everybody. So for those who are new, I'd just like to offer a recap. Please make yourselves comfortable, shift around, come into the room, do what you need to do. Um, sometimes it can be quite a thing just to get here in the Bay Area. <laughs> So I'm just going to give the like two-minute rundown of what we covered last week, and I'm hoping some of you can fill in the gaps um, who were here. We talked about the purposes of loving-kindness practice, and um, I spoke a little bit about them both from my own personal perspective and from the perspective that's written in the suttas and the commentaries. So in the, in the Buddhist literature, um, loving-kindness meditation is actually often used as a concentration practice um, to develop greater focus, calm, and stability. It's also used in many stories and myths and teachings as an antidote to fear and anxiety and hostility and ill will. That's a very ancient use. Um, It's used to promote harmonious community relationships and um, also better sleep, which I think I forgot to mention last week. So for myself, um, I've found when engaged in this practice, when I'm not on the cushion, I really do worry less. I laugh more. I sleep better. And... um, often have an easier time finding the beauty in others, whatever that is. Um, The goal in this class is to explore this meditation with all the creativity that you have to bring to it. I'm going to throw out ideas each class and a basic framework of how it's traditionally taught a little bit of my own perspective, but this practice is a really creative practice. I encourage you to make it your own. And feel free to share ideas with the group or to just experiment. You're your own laboratory for the next few weeks. So I wonder if anyone who was here last week has anything to add about... um, either what you discovered in the past week about your practice or things that you think are important that I haven't said yet because I haven't said very much. Any any comments? Wisdom from the group? Yes. Here and here, please. And please say your name first. Hi, my name's Mia. Uh, So during this week, I kind of noticed that it was easier for me to express... Um, gratitude towards others that were in my life. Um, It was hard for me to maintain, like, a focus, though. Like, it was easier for me to meditate either um, towards the evening where I was Mm -hmm. more focused, and it was easier for me to sleep throughout the night Mm -hmm. uh, versus when I tried to meditate throughout the day. But it was easier for me just to even... I was laughing more, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. and expressing gratitude for the people that were in my life and even just, like, joking, laughing, like, happily. It was just... That's what I noticed the most this week, so. 
Wonderful. Thank you, Mia. Hi, I'm Virginia. And I had a huge lesson in why I need meditation, which I'm new to. So (laughs) I was feeling um, really relaxed and mellow. And I was just a few blocks from here, turning right at a four-way stop, when a big honker, souped-up black truck just about ran me down. So I immediately went, do you want to stop at the stop sign or what, buddy? And then I died laughing because I had just been sitting here saying things like, may you know peace and joy. So while I'm laughing, I'm directing that to him. Um, But I, I think I would not have gotten back to that um, laughing at myself and that the irony that I just left a meditation center <laughs> and I'm saying that to him um, and I wouldn't have gotten back to that loving place so fast and then so to my best self in other words and then um, I also noticed this week um, when something kind of irritating happened with a friend I was able to just go, wow, what's more important, the friendship or this? Mm-hmm. And I was able to let it go. But the truck was really funny, especially the timing. Thank you very much. Anybody else before I continue? So, great. Yes, um, traffic is a really good meta practice opportunity. <laughs> Both noticing when it happens and when it doesn't happen. (laughs) The bridges are especially effective sometimes, actually. (laughs) So, for those who are new, I'm just going to say a couple of other things. Um, That unlike mindfulness meditation, which often is a very subtle and very receptive practice, in this practice we do engage mindfulness, And we're also intentionally cultivating certain habits of mind. Um, Intentionally looking at and um, giving more attention to, preference to, you might even say, the feelings or intentions of gratitude and benevolence and friendliness, appreciation. That's not to say we're making anything up. It's not about making yourself feel something. It's about accepting all that is with an attitude of gentleness and kindness. So even lack of concentration is a really good time to practice gentleness and benevolence towards yourself or being in a snit or um, having a difficult emotion arise. That works just as well as anything else. We will be um, introducing two new categories today. Uh, Last week, um, out of the six categories that are traditionally taught, we focused on what's called the benefactor, someone who has been important in our lives, either directly or indirectly. This week, um, I'd like to introduce the dear person, um, a good friend or beloved one, as another category that we're going to work with, and ourselves. 
So we'll be playing with those two mostly today. And I'll probably give a little bit more emphasis to the self because that's what people usually ask me to do after I teach the night on the self. Um, So here's a story. This one is a little bit from, it's from another stream of Buddhism. It's from Mahayana Buddhism, um, or at least the message is from Mahayana Buddhism, unlike the early Buddhism that we usually teach here. But it does take place in Thailand. A long time ago, many years ago, in a remote part of Thailand, there was a temple with a golden Buddha in it. It was actually called the Temple of the Golden Buddha because of its fame. And um, in this remote village, one day word came that there was an invading army pillaging everything in their path. And these poor villagers, they didn't have weapons, they didn't have an army, they didn't have a police force. So the monks and the villagers got together and they covered the golden Buddha with all this mud and straw and concrete and dirt and just sort of like made this really poor concrete out of it and created this sort of lumpy, larger, not very attractive Buddha statue. And then they went off and hid. The army rampaged through, ignored the ugly Buddha completely and kept going. But the villagers had also scattered in this time of war. And the people who came back to that village didn't know about the Golden Buddha. So the years went by and other monasteries reestablished. And many, many years later, a monk is, little boy monk, is meditating before the Buddha, right? And his eyes are open and he notices a piece of this concrete mud stuff fall off. And there's this gleam underneath. The sunlight hits it. And he goes and he runs and he tells the other monks and they start tearing the concrete off and pretty soon they discover that there's this absolutely gorgeous, very valuable rupa underneath all this covering. Isn't that sweet? Hidden in plain sight. So um, this practice cracks our concrete and our mud off of our hearts. And sometimes it's helpful to imagine the goodness, the golden Buddha, inside, underneath that crust. Maybe the conditions of our lives have been such that it's not so easy to get to all the time, whether it's busyness or difficulty in the past or whatever. But it's a little bit like having that casing start to crack off. It's not obvious at first, but some beautiful qualities can reveal themselves. So, I think if you folks are open to it, I'd like you to turn towards each other in groups of two or three. And... um, Think about who helps bring that side of you out and talk about them for a few minutes. Talk about what you appreciate about them and what you appreciate about you 
that comes up in response to them. And this is actually a classical preparatory practice for metta, except people don't usually chat about it with each other. They usually just sit and think about it. But I really like the energy in the room when all of you are chatting. So if you would please turn to a partner or turn to two other people. No one is required to do this. If you would rather sit on your own, you're welcome to do that. Just let people know. And I'll give you about three or four minutes apiece. So I'll ring a bell in the middle. One person talk, I ring the bell, you switch. Okay. Any questions? No. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Is the mic working? Great. Okay. So, um, I want you to just take a minute and reflect back on what that conversation just was for you. Maybe close your eyes and tap in for a minute to um, things that you found yourself saying or your partner or partners saying that help you tap into that sense of appreciation or gratitude or inner light. And then, um, if the person that you are referring to or one of the people you are referring to in the conversation kind of stands out to you. Go ahead and reflect a little bit more on their virtues. What about them that you appreciate? Maybe specific actions they've done. And then letting go of that cognitive exercise Consider words or phrases that are your own that might express your own benevolence towards them, your goodwill towards them. Whatever those are, just take a few minutes to consider what it might be. So I'm going to ask you to settle into another meditation. Closing your eyes if they're not already closed. Choosing someone or some being, human or animal, And taking those feelings of appreciation that they naturally inspire. Someone who you may have been just talking about or it could be someone else who just makes your heart smile and your face open up and your body feel relaxed just by being with them. Somebody kind of simple, preferably. 
Let your attention again collect around your heart center. And then connecting with the out-breath, sending those wishes to them. And on the in-breath, saying the same wishes to yourself. Or something similar, if the same doesn't quite work in your situation. Out-breath, offering. In-breath, may I be happy. Each breath, allow the breath and wishes for kindness to radiate through your whole body and in any direction you choose, above and below, to the sides, the front, or the back. Every now and then, if it feels right, pause and receive, be with whatever is resonating in your body and heart right now. And then return to offering on the out-breath receiving on the in-breath. 
Receiving some of the benevolence being generated in this room even. Allowing it to soak in. and shortening whatever words you're using down to one word on the out-breath and one on the in-breath. Whatever the jewel is, the nugget of your intention.
in the last moment or two of this meditation, letting go of any phrases, any directed visualization or imagination, and just basking in whatever is coming up right now, being with. Noticing the internal tone of your mind and heart right now. So I'd like to say a few words about being your own best friend. The practice of loving kindness for yourself. The word metta, loving kindness in ancient Pali, is very close to another word, mitta. Mitta and metta are what are called cognates. And the word mitta means friend. Loving-kindness is based on the idea of friendship. It's based on this idea of friendliness, benevolence. And in the ancient commentaries, um, it's also based on the notion that learning to respect and love the wish for happiness, the love of the wish for lack of suffering in oneself, is actually a very generous act. It's a way of beginning to understand that that wish is universal in all of us. So I'm going to read you some um, kind of old-sounding English for a minute. This is in the Visuddhimagga, the um, path of purification. It was written more than a millennia ago. It says, this initial development towards oneself refers to making oneself an example. Even if a person developed loving kindness for a hundred or a thousand years in this way, meditative absorption on the self would not happen, meaning you don't become completely self-absorbed, hopefully. But if they develop it in this way, Just as I want to be happy and dread pain, just as I want to live and not die, so do other beings too. In this way, if one makes oneself the example, then desire for other beings' welfare and happiness arises naturally in them. 
So I know that might have sounded a little bit clunky, but I like to read it because it shows that there's a very ancient wisdom in cultivating a gentle regard for what happens here in this body, in this mind and heart. That it's not narcissistic or self-absorbed or selfish. It's actually a foundation for understanding, empathizing, and being compassionate for others too. We can make it narcissistic if we want to, but that's a choice. It's not an inevitable outcome. So loving kindness for oneself is one place where metta and mindfulness meet. They're together. In the process of cultivating loving kindness for oneself, it's really helpful to be mindful of your own emotions, whatever they are, your own mind states and their impact on you, the cause and effect relationship. And that's not to say if what's happening inside is internal criticism, that it helps to beat yourself up. Helps to be gentle even with the fact that that's happening. And that's an opportunity to offer compassion too. I've found for myself, the more I can be loving and gentle, you know, That doesn't mean writing off excuses for bad behavior, but loving and gentle with the parts of me that I kind of wish weren't there. The more tolerant and accepting and loving I am of everyone else, too. Because I'm not judging them based on judging myself. It can have some more direct impacts, too, this loving kindness for self. I'm going to tell you, it's kind of a personal story, but... um, I want to keep it real here. I was in India some years ago. This was pretty early on in my practice. And I traveled there because partially to do Buddhist pilgrimage, though I was pretty new to Buddhism, and partially because I had a very difficult chronic health situation, which resulted in chronic pain. There was pretty much no part of my body that didn't hurt most of the time. So I went there with a little carry-on suitcase that I couldn't even lift myself, really. And I was looking for um, alternative healing, an alternative way of moving through the world. And I was there for months, actually. You know, seeing different healers, going to different meditation centers. I did some volunteering, that kind of stuff. But on one of my self-retreats, I still remember to this day, I was in this little shack of a bedroom with a tin roof and like the squirrels were bouncing up and down on top of the roof, you know, and the birds are going to town and honking in the distance in India. And I was doing this meditation and my hands really hurt that day. And for some reason, what came up instead of resistance to the hurt was this sense of, oh, be gentle with it. Just be gentle with that pain. It was so basic. It was just literally like towards a finger or two, right? But something about that really shifted the experience of the pain. It's not like the health situation went away. Not right away. 
It's not even like the pain went away right away. But the relationship to the pain transformed so much that it stopped being a wall between me and everyone around me. And then the funniest thing happened. As I was traveling through India after that, other people's suffering also was a lot easier to be with and to take. It taught me a lot. And um, it taught me a lot about opening to my entire experience with gentleness. It was just... um, immediately apparent that it was easier to open to everyone else with gentleness, too. So I know many of us have our own version of this kind of story of personal pain. It can be physical, it can be psychological, emotional, relational, societal, you know, anything. We have a choice in how we relate to the experience. It might not make the experience go away, but it can transform everything else. It can even transform internal dynamics or interpersonal dynamics. So I have another, I have another old Buddhist story for you. And this one is in a, a book of um, the sutras that's a Chinese parallel to the most common book that we use. Um, And this parallel is called the Samyutta Agama. The story is called a yaka on Saka's throne. A yaka is um, kind of a demon-like beast. Have any of you read Where the Wild Things Are? Show of hands. Okay. Picture one of those. (laughs) Okay. Okay. One day, King Saka was off surveying his grounds, and the noble, his noble court was all sort of in session, but his spot was empty. They were there. And into the court saunters this yaka, and it's only about yay high, you know, three feet high or so, and it's hostile, and it's swaggering, and it's arrogant, and its face is all twisted up and darkened with rage, and it's just ugly to look at, and it's not very nice to be around. And what does it do? It marches straight through the court, ignoring any guards, ignoring any nobles, and it plops itself down on King Saka's throne. And it starts insulting everyone around it. (laughs) It's got some nerve, right? So the court is just shocked, and they start hurling insults at the yaka. You don't belong here. Get out of here. You're ugly. You know, you're mean. Get out of here. With every insult, the demon grows bigger, stronger, and more beautiful. And pretty soon he's big enough that they aren't just insulting him, they're kind of afraid of him. So finally, one or two of the nobles has the sense to run and go find the king. So off they go. Saka, Saka, you wouldn't believe this, but... And they describe the story. And instead of freaking out or getting upset, he just kind of rubs his chin and he says, you know, I think I've heard of this Yaka before. Let's go back and see what we can do. 
and he walks into the throne room and he does something that nobody in the court expects. He carefully arranges his robe on one shoulder, he takes some incense and lights it and goes up and kneels before his own throne and looks at the yaka and says, O great seer, I am Saka, great seer. He treated the demon with respect and he said, I see you have taught me something about my court. And as the king was talking to this yaka, with every gentle word, with every time the king recited his own name with kind authority, the demon shrank and shrank and shrank until it actually went away into nothing. The king sets down the incense. He turns around and he sits down and he looks at the court. And he says, from now on, none of you meet hostility with anger. If you hurl insults and fight anger or hostility with more anger, you're feeding your demon. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in this little myth. Interpersonally, in some ways, But for me, it's actually more about the dynamics in my own mind and my own heart. Sometimes if something really ugly is coming up, to reject it and push it away just makes it stronger, right? You don't invite it to stay on the throne either. But see it, seeing it for information instead of as a threat can actually transform our relationship to it. Sometimes what that's trying to do, whatever that force is, whatever that demon seems to be, it's actually telling you something, or it's telling me something anyway. So I say this because sometimes in loving kindness for ourselves, it can be hard at first. And it can feel like we're wrestling with some stuff we really don't like. And for some people, it's not. I'm not trying to make your experience harder. But many of us find it challenging at first. So if you do, remember this demon story. It can be really helpful, even if gentleness is not available, to treat whatever's happening with respect. And don't forget to take your own seat again at the end. Kristen Neff, um, a psychologist and researcher, has done a lot of work on self-compassion. And she really talks about treating ourselves with the same kindness you would treat a friend. And one of the key ways she talks about this is either avoiding or choosing not to believe any harsh internal criticism. Is that so? I'm not so sure. Okay. So whatever difficult parts might arise, one of the quest- there are two things that really help for me. One of the question I ask myself is, can you hold what is here in a kind way? Can I hold it that way? 
And then the second thing is to notice the tone of the internal narrator. So if I'm going, may I be happy? How's that going to work? Not so well. So metta can shift self-regard and relationship to experience really profoundly over time. It might not start right away, but experiment, 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 right? There's a, the key skill that Sharon Salzberg talks about with this practice is actually letting go and beginning again. Let go and begin again. It's always okay to start over. Even if it's been 20 minutes, start over. Another thing that I find really helpful being more of a kinesthetic type is the use of gesture and contact. You can even try this while I'm talking if you like. You place your hand at the center of your chest and just feel in as we're talking for the next few minutes to how the center of your chest is feeling and how your hand is feeling. And there's a reason to do this. Apparently, we have a lot of basal ganglia, like neurons, in our, our, our brains, are also in our chest and in our belly. And there's something about the contact that helps to invoke a sympathetic response over time. So try it with your eyes closed, maybe. And just feel into that. Another gesture that people find really helpful is to give themselves a hug. Which you can try if you want, and you don't have to if you don't want to. Again, it takes a little time. They're allowing yourself to learn how to hold yourself gently can be a very worthwhile thing to invest time in. So if your eyes aren't already closed, close them one more time. You're welcome to keep your hands in any of the positions I suggested that are helpful or to let them settle in your lap. And again, notice your posture, your external posture, keeping that comfortable and alert. And then notice your internal posture. What is the stance that you're taking towards your own experience right now? And while you're breathing, call to mind again that dear person 
or the benefactor from last week. Imagine them here with you or a connection with them somehow. See if you can just receive any good wishes, good will, sense of safety or appreciation coming from them towards you. Breathing it in. And then on each out-breath, letting it pour through your entire body. And then letting go of their image. See if you can maintain that same posture, loving regard for yourself. May I be happy. May I be well. May I be safe from inner and outer harm. May I know ease and joy. Whatever phrases or words work for you.
if it feels right, shorten the phrases or even drop them. And focus on the wish itself and how it feels in your heart and body. and letting go of any object or orientation to anyone or anything. Just receive and be with whatever resonates right now. Here's our reflection. Opening the heart's capacity to feel and express love, kindness, and appreciation offers a gift to everyone this life touches. Take a moment to appreciate your own generosity in cultivating love and kindness.
So we have about five minutes for questions, observations, complaints, or comments, if anyone has any. Or I can invent other stuff to talk about if you'd rather listen to me than yourselves. It's up to you. Oh, wait for the mic, please. Thank you. Thank so you. this is a purposeful type of um, meditation, did you say? Yes. It's, how is it different? Okay. Yeah. Because you think of... Have you practiced mindfulness meditation before? No. Aha. So um, I recommend you come tomorrow night if you can. At, I believe 6.15 or 6.30, it's on the schedule. There's a very basic intro for anyone who's never done mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness meditation is very much about being present with what is. And this is as well, but here we're also very intentionally cultivating certain attitudes of mind. So you won't find an instructor talking about visualizing or phrases or anything like that, generally in mindfulness meditation. Um, But this is one of a whole class of meditations offered in Buddhism that engage the mind a little bit more and the imagination a little bit more. So um, there is definitely a difference. And if you're new to meditation, I encourage you to check out a few different forms for sure. Thank you. Anybody else? No? In the back. And please say your name if you would. Um, my name is Susan. The, um, the, the cultivation, I, is it um, just the repetition or is it uh, sort of a scene or scene in your head or, you know, or can it, you know, and sometimes I would go from the repetition just to regular old mindfulness and everything would kind of disappear. Mm-hmm. And then are you supposed to go back to either the phrase or the or a scene? So cultivation can take place in many, many ways. And mindfulness meditation itself does tend to cultivate metta over time. You may have some of you may have noticed that in your own lives. Um, if your intention is to develop this practice then if you notice yourself having gone to mindfulness and it feels right to go back to cultivating metta, I would do that. But there is no one right way. It's often taught in combination. And in fact, on the, on the blue handout, you'll see that this week I'm recommending you start with mindfulness and then go to metta just to experiment. Like last week, people were starting with metta and going to mindfulness, and you see which one works better for you. So, so when you say going to metta, does that mean repeating the phrases or, um, or you know, the act of breathing in for yourself and breathing out the offering? I, that's, you know. Both or either. Okay. So it looks different for different people. Some people really resonate with the phrases and some people don't use phrases at all. Some people visualize. Other people just use embodied energy, intention. Um, For some people, music works. For other people, walking meditation actually works very well for this practice. 
So there's, that's the interesting thing about these intentional cultivations is you really can engage your imagination and do what brings the most use to you. And that might change over time, actually. One day it might be the phrases are working really great. The next day it might be the energetic sense of, I know someone who was pushing a ball towards the person, right? Like it can be any way that helps to engage that intention and that feeling for you. Um, so there's no one right answer. Um, and anybody else have observations or um, questions? Sorry. Yes. My name is Sylvie. Um, interesting what you were saying about this experimentation because when I was practicing in the past week, mm-hmm. I started to do you know, exactly the way it was said, so starting 10 minutes or 15 minutes with loving kindness and then going to mindfulness. Um, and then, I don't know how it happened, I didn't plan it, but I found myself experimenting with starting with mindfulness and then going into loving kindness and back to mindfulness and long phrases and short phrases and um and then i found kind of this combination that just felt right mm-hmm. um and i you know i didn't know but um it, uh, I'm glad that somehow I experimented because the first one didn't work for me. Yeah. So thank you. Great. Thank you for modeling, experimenting with it. <laughs> Wonderful. So we, um, does any, anyone else have a burning question or comment? I'll move on otherwise. Okay. So you may have noticed that there were two pieces of paper. Some of the pieces of paper came in after some of you. Um, there's the blue sheet and the white sheet. And um, if you don't have a white sheet, raise your hand, and Kate is kindly walking around providing them. Um, so what's on the white sheet is called the Metta Sutta, which is um, one of the most beloved pieces of Buddhist literature around the world. It's quite an old sutta. It's very simple. And in this particular form, it is a chant. So um, what I'd like to do is have us do call and response. Kate, may I get a copy as well so I don't forget a phrase? Are there enough? Okay. Who here already knows this chant? Raise your hand if you already know it. Okay, we're going to do call and response. (laughs) Um, So, can I ask you again to please hold the mic to the group? Um, That would be great. And if somebody on that side near the mic can hold it just sort of up and out um, when you're doing your part, make sure the green light is on. So this particular chant is from the Thai forest tradition. The Amaravati Sangha translated it, and it's a very simple tune. So um, we'll do call and response down. You can see there's sort of a break in the middle um, where it says, may all beings be at ease. 
we'll stop there. And if you come next week, we'll do the rest of it. But I don't want to make it too long for you. This is what should be done. By one who is skilled in goodness. And who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright. Straightforward and gentle in speech. Contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing. That the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. Let none. I'm sorry about that. The whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or the mighty, medium, short or small. The seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Thank you.
So this little sutta is actually an instruction, which is part of why I like to try to introduce it into the class. For some people, singing or chanting is actually a more powerful practice internally or externally than the visualizing or just the phrases. So you might want to borrow some of the phrases in this if you like, or um, if it's not useful for you, leave it. Um, But one of the kind of interesting things about learning a few chants is it gives the mind a place to go other than my own top five favorite neurotic stories, (laughs) right? (laughs) So you can take this principle into your own life. Whatever music that uplifts you and brings something wholesome to you, maybe make a playlist for yourself. You know, it doesn't have to be ancient Theravada chanting. It can be something a lot more contemporary, right? And if you think it's fun, um, maybe bring in some of um, the titles next week and we can share them with each other and start building a collective playlist. So a little bit of ancient, a little bit of Spotify or iTunes or whatever the heck you use. So thank you so much for coming. Um, I guess I have one last thing to say, which is on the handout, I wrote a little micro-practice suggestion down, but I wrote the one from last week on your handout. So I'm going to tell you an idea, and if you remember to do it, it might be fun. And if you don't, you can tell me what you ended up doing instead, and that'll be fun too. But the idea is to take special care throughout your day to notice your own good intentions, attributes, and behaviors. Just take a step back every now and then and see if you can consciously appreciate them. And then, bonus, extra credit points, if you notice any shifts in how you perceive the attributes or intentions or behaviors of other people after doing that. See if you can notice a cause and effect relationship. So thank you again. I think Kate has one or two announcements and then we're done.